Welcome, welcome, welcome to the second episode of Opening Weekend, the movie podcast that travels back in time to revisit opening weekends of the past and revel in that other American pastime, going to the movies with our friends. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening Weekend. Read it R. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, our achy, breaky hearts burn for the early 90s, specifically May 28th, 1993, which saw the opening of three major releases, Cliffhanger, starring Sylvester Stallone, Made in America, starring Whoopi Goldberg, and Super Mario Brothers, starring a bunch of guys in oversized suits sporting animatronic lizard heads. Welcome, my friends. We are a long, long way from Star Wars this week. First of all, where were we all? In late May of 1993. Well, let's get I'll, let's get in the DeLorean, boys. Let's go yeah. back. Let's go in. We shut the door. Okay, we're back in 93. Oh, wow! Oh, Knott's Landing is on the air. Am I right? Clinton just got uh, elected. Oh, I'm president. in the 80s still. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you where I wasn't in 1993. In any of these movies, uh, as an actor. See- Oh, no, right. in the theater. I didn't go to any of these movies in the theater. Um, Nineteen ninety-three. Uh, we were all in college. I yeah, had, we were. We were. Oh no! Wait, did you graduate? Well, I had just graduated. Oh, I had just man. graduated in uh, in May, like a couple weeks before these movies came out. Yeah, so that was my last hurrah at Hofstra. But, so I uh, was. Uh, no, what are you talking about? What? I graduated in ninety-four. Right. Oh, I graduated yeah, yeah, in right. ninety. Yeah, <laughs> four I, minus sorry. one is three. I, 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 I have to go to my math podcast now, which I do. I um, call it. I call it abandoning us. You left us there. Well, yes, but I kept visiting far too often and you sleeping did. on you your respective floors. I did. I couldn't like. I couldn't quit you. As, we don't uh, want to let you go. Yeah, yeah. ninety three was. Um, I, yeah, we were in college. You were out of college. We were wrapped up in our own. Um, you know theatrical pursuits and you, you and i um i'm sorry we, we you and i were about to start summer stock together oh, that's up right. in salem we did new york season of summer stock that's right which dan right. you came to visit us there didn't you did i you regretted with- it but yes no it was great <laughs> <laughs> no acting in a barn for 75 dollars a week or mm. whatever it was it was like um, a, wasn't it a church wasn't it an old church that they had it was a transformed? church i'm sorry it was a a church it was a church, church that they kept like a barn. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It went from church to barn to theater to frozen yogurt stand. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. And we did uh, we did The Nerd and Little Shop of Horrors and No No Nanette, that yeah, tri- we triumvirate. Oh, oh yeah, I well. definitely saw you in No No Nanette. I remember <laughs> yeah, that. Brilliant. I remember that. Oh, there was God. no chorus. We were the chorus boys, and it was us and two other guys. And out of the four of us, none of us could dance and the four of us could barely sing <laughs> barely sing but we were the chorus boys and oh, uh you know because that's all they had typecasting uh, 
Yeah, and we were like the quote-unquote professional actors from New York City. The other two guys were locals, and they looked up to us, and we just yeah. constantly disappointed and, them. And what they didn't know was that we were the cliffhanger and made in America of summer theater. No, I mean, we no, were no, just – we were we, – we were Midland, fair to Midland. Um, oh, I shouldn't say how we feel about the, the movies we're going to talk about just yet, but I, you can kind of guess. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's, so that's summer of 93. Uh, in terms of movies that summer, I think we were all, what we were all looking forward to, I think everybody was looking forward to, Jurassic Park, Jurassic which, Park yeah. which came out just a couple of weeks later. Uh, and that was also the summer of... Big hits like The Fugitive and Sleepless in Seattle and uh, supposed to be hits like Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, things that went on to become cult classics, but like th- that I know you don't like. Uh, Hocus Pocus, right? I know you. Oh, that's you not. Sorry, I can't. If anyone involved in Hocus Pocus is listening, I apologize. <laughs> So many wonderfully talented people that it may be the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, I watched it with my kids uh, last Halloween because for some reason I thought it was supposed to be this Halloween classic that everyone loved. It, it I've is. Never seen it. It's horrendous. And it's got such talented people in it. And I, I wish I could say they come out unscathed. I, I don't know. Maybe they're having fun. I love them all as performers normally, but wow, it's uh, even my kids were like, "What have you? What? What is this, Daddy? What are you making us watch?" See, but you right, know, my wife really likes. It. Yeah, it came out oh, but like late late summer of '93, and I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, my wife loves it. My sister loves it. There's a lot of people. And, and I, I have to say, I, it is now a, um, that and Ghostbusters are Halloween staples in our apartment because Kate Here's really does love Hocus Pocus. Well, we'll get, and we're, well, we'll hold off. We got, we got Ghostbusters coming down the pipeline. But, but right now we're talking about a different trio of films. So, uh, I guess let's, uh, let's just launch right into it with, uh, Cliffhanger. Sylvester Stallone plays a former mountain climber slash rescue worker slash something or other who leaves the business following a tragic accident. After eight months, he returns, persuaded to help rescue what he believes to be a group of stranded hikers. In actuality, however, they are a gang of violent criminals led by John Lithgow and an unfortunate accent who have lost $100 million during a plane crash in the Rocky Mountains and who needs Stallone's help in order to locate their missing loot. Uh, The film was directed by Rennie Harlan, who was one of the action kings of the 90s. He had a kind of spotty directing record. I think his first big film was Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, which I actually love. It's my favorite Freddy Krueger movie. Uh, And then he went on to direct Die Hard 2 and The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, in the same summer, 1990, and those movies came out within a week of each other, which is really bizarre for a, a major director to have two huge movies come out within a week of each other, even though one was huge, Die Hard 2, and the other one was Ford Fairlane, starring Andrew Dice Clay, but still. Uh, then he made Cliffhanger, and then he made a couple of movies with his wife, Gina Davis, and his last big movie was Deep Blue Sea. Cliffhanger was also a comeback of sorts for its star, Sylvester Stallone, who, after Rambo 3 and Rocky V, saw his career stall out with a pair of poorly received comedies Oscar and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot 
which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point in the future. Uh, Cliffhanger made $16.2 million over its opening weekend uh, on its way to $84 million in North America and $255 million worldwide. So it was a pretty big hit at the time. Those were impressive numbers for 1993. So that's the overview. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Cliffhanger? Well, I like I said, I didn't see it when it first came out in the theaters. I th- I think I saw it shortly. I think I, I think I saw it right when it came when it hit cable. Um, and it's funny because I was wondering about that. It was sort of like a comeback for Stallone, wasn't it? Yeah. And I, I thought so. He was sort of he was floundering. He was doing all those comedies. Um, and yeah, I recently rewatched it, and I. Um, it's 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 a rough watch. It's uh, <laughs> it's 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 all of these. Look, this like you said in the beginning, we're we're a long way from Star Wars um, yeah. in terms of our enthusiasms for the film. But I, I do remember being uh, slightly traumatized by the opening scene in Cliffhanger when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that poor, I don't you know, spoiler alert. Um, well, it's the first He's, scene, so that's all right. Scene. Yeah, it doesn't spoil anything. <laughs> but I, this poor woman, Michael Rooker's girlfriend, plummets to her death. And I remember when I first saw that, it was horrifying because oh, yeah. it was it was very realistic. It was uh, I I was terrified by that. Please, please, I don't want to die. You're not gonna die. Don't let me, don't let me fall. <laughs> Watching it again, I, I felt the same thing. Yeah. Um, but wow, yeah, not, not he. He was, you know, I, I will say this: watching Stallone, like I forgot. I was like, God damn, he's he's. It doesn't matter how bad the dialogue is, and there's some pretty bad dialogue in this movie. But <laughs> he's uh, he's just such a likable actor, you yeah, know, and yeah. uh, he, he's very understated in this movie. Um, and I I I, I enjoyed him. Yeah, he has that movie star presence. He really does. Then he's yeah. charming uh, almost in spite of himself. Like even though, it, like this feels like a movie that did not uh, Rambo, Rocky. There are certain things, certain vehicles where you're like, yeah, well, Stallone was the guy for that. This is kind of a funny vehicle for him because it's it, it, did seem it could be it, well, it could be any action. You know, what I mean, it didn't really seem like it played to his particular strengths necessarily. You know, it just was like. It's an action script, and so it went to an action guy. D- does that make yeah, sense? Like it could absolutely. have been a, could have been Van Damme, could have been anybody at that time. I, I was thinking that when I was watching it, I was going when I was watching it again recently. I, I was like, why did he choose this? And obviously, I think at the time it was the whole idea of like I'm sure filming in all those mountain scenes had never been done before, mm-hmm. and it was like the cutting edge of you know action sequences and. Um, and I don't know, was was there much... I, well, there wasn't CGI back then, but... Uh, uh, no, yeah, there was. I mean, sure there was. was? There was a fair... Yeah, well, Jurassic Park Jurassic came out two Park. weeks later, oh, so... right, <laughs> right, of course, I forgot. Um, they just did it better in that one. But uh, it was... <laughs> it, 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 I, I, I was confused. A little bit, a little. Through a lot of the movie, it was very... Um, j- just a lot of questions. Um, I do... Well, I, I, I have a theory, but but Dan, what did you yeah, think? Well, I'll, I'll come back to that. Well, it, Okay, so you've got Stallone, you have um, Michael Rooker, who's not the badass that we know him now in Walking Dead, right? And in yeah. uh, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. Galaxy and things like that. He's sort of the, he's the second banana and he's sort of short uh, and uh, he's, the, he's, he's um, you know, just a sort of regular guy. And then you have Lithgow. Of those three people, 
Which one do you think would be named Gabe? <laughs> the Stallone character. They name him Gabe. Gabe. Hey, Gabe. Hang on to me, Gabe. I, don't drop me, Gabe. That's and that's very- the 27th most preposterous thing in the movie. <laughs> they couldn't go the extra they couldn't go the extra step and name him Cliffhanger. Come on, people. <laughs> Come on, it's right there. Um, name oh him Cliffhanger. That's that's true. We how many people did you know named Gabe? There was Gabe Kaplan. Gabe Kaplan. We went to college with a guy named Gabe who was very nice, and that's it. He's not a Gabe. So that tells you everything you need to know about this movie. They're trying to make Stallone, who's jacked as ever, into an everyman. And it doesn't work. How many times does he get? Lithgow kicks his ass in this movie. He barely (laughs) beats up Lithgow at the end. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Speaking of that fight at the end, I mean, God, the, 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 the dialogue is pretty horrendous. But there, there was, I think, maybe they were coming- Oh God! But there was so many like they were trying I to get all these like little, they were trying to get all these like little catchphrases in there. Yes, like, at the end. About, it was like all the Schwarzenegger cat. Like let's face it, the, the best like action adventure catchphrases are in the Schwarzenegger movies. Like we'll go to Commando um, or Total Recall or Predator. There's always like he's always got his little phrase before he kills. You know, stick around, let uh, off some steam. That's exactly. a good one. No, please don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. <laughs> and I, I like. <laughs> You know, which Commando's one is that? Shot. Which one that's is that? Commando when he breaks the guy's neck on the plane. Oh, that's outstanding! Don't my friend. Don't disturb my friend. Don't disturb my friend. Jack hat on, oh, that's and great. and I feel like they kept trying to add those into this. Like Michael Rooker's got that one when the soccer dude's kicking yeah. his ass at the end. It's like season's over and throws him off the cliff. <laughs> but the end, the the, the big. It's final, like a Simpsons episode. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, the the big final battle at the end between uh, Gabe and you know the, the guy with the sword the rest of the sweat hogs <laughs> Freddie Boom Boom Washington runs in there throws off Vinny Barbarino <laughs> you know, like this big fight and it ends with what does he say at the end he's like remember shithead keep your arms and legs in the vehicle at all but he says that to her at the beginning oh he does he said be- when before oh, the mo- the- when, oh. when he sends her across the, hey, you got nothing to worry about. You'll be fine. When he sends her across the, keep your arms and hands inside the vehicle. <laughs> and then he says it <gasps> at the right. end. Oh, you know what? Then forget oh, it. That's his final catchphrase. That the well, movie's genius. Then. And the movie's genius. I missed it. I missed it. See, it's you're the, the circle. Man. The circle of life, Mufasa. No, it's <laughs> oh. it's perfect. How it comes. It all hey, comes I, back around. I missed all of that. Let me ask you something too. What I never and I could maybe I, maybe I missed a lot of things. What was what was John Lithgow and his crew doing? What what did they steal the money for? What were they using it for? Oh he's got a God. line at one point. He's like, "Kill a few people, they call you a murderer. Kill a million, and you're a conqueror." Well, that's good. But I don't know what did that mean. What, what was he trying to do with all this money? <laughs> it, what it, was just means, plan? it just means murders. Okay, if you you know if you do enough of it, if you get really good apparently, at something. Apparently, you know. in this movie, murders okay only if it's in slow motion. Because did you notice that every yeah. time someone gets shot, it was in slow motion. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, that, I mean, it's it, it's a very it's an odd movie in that it, it's set up to be about you know about mountain climbing, about you know it, more more of something like a movie Alive or something where mm-hmm. the where the actual the the circumstances of mountain climbing and getting stranded it might be that, that those might play into the plot more, but they really 
It really doesn't. It's just a backdrop. It's just a setting for a very kind of conventional, lethal weapon-ish kind of, uh, we need your help to get the money. You're the expert in whatever and help us get from A to B to C to find what we need to find. It, it could have been and, any... And cool conceit, too. To do, and I'm sure that's what sold them on it. Like, hey, we're going to do this this type of thing, but it's going to be in the mountains. Sure. You know, with guys and mountaineers. And uh, that was probably the selling point. But this is the thing, you guys. He... It, they go to such great pains, and I hate when movies do this. They go to such great pains to set him up. There's an interminable, endless amount of scenes where they're like, will he ever mountain climb again? Will yeah. he yeah. ever come back? The the dropping the girl was too traumatizing for him. He's been away for eight months. And then that never is a thing he has to overcome ever. It gets no. dropped. It gets totally dropped. Like, like the it girl was- at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> exactly. <just totally>, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing that got dropped. I know. Is that? I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I thought, okay, so they set that up. And then that, that trauma, that difficulty, he goes away for eight months, supposedly. But the next scene after the opening, he's back. And he just he's says, like, he says, I, I had to go away girl. for a while. Yeah. I haven't climbed in months. You just lose the feel. Maybe you mean the nerve. Yeah. He, so once he's back, it's in moments, he's back up there doing exactly what he always yeah. did and, and doing it well. It, and he's not petrified by it. Absolutely. That interesting. If, if he, he had to do this, it. Mm-hmm. it was a life and death thing and he couldn't do it. That That's what they set it, up. That That's what they set it up to be. You think You're it's right. going to be some climactic moment where he's, he's there again and he's holding the the girl for Gene Turner. You know, he's holding her and he's got yeah. a fight against his his demons that you know the, uh, his memory of having dropped the other girl and then he triumphs over that 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 sort of happens in it one happens scene. in the middle of the movie and he goes happens in the middle and he picks yeah. her up and he's it's all fine they <laughs> set up the same circumstance yes. and you know and and then he does it quickly and relatively easily and then it's like okay well he overcame that but now let's go shoot more people in the things, snow man. That guy, that guy is able to withstand uh, the, the the cold without a shirt on better than <laughs> anyone I've seen. There's one, there's, there's a whole scene where he's literally under the ice and he pops out and he's he's hanging out. Yeah, he's there's okay. no no hypothermia. First, that one. guy was good. That villain, he's, fan, he's fantastic. One. He's he's on Better Call Saul now, and he's fantastic on it. Is this the agent, Agent Travers? The agent, that, uh, yeah. Taggart, I think. Or Ta- Taggart, oh, I, 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 I don't know the T. I can't remember I'll his name. I'll look it up. Um, he's yeah, really he's good. A, He's fantastic on Better Call Saul, and I was so excited to see him in this. And he does a great job um, because he's like, the one with a. He's the only one in the in the movie with a legit journey. Lithgow is just a complete psychopath. Complete yeah. psychopath. He's like a, There's it's no, a little bit of a cartoon villain. Yeah, very well, that's the much. Thing, that's why I'm asking. I don't even know what his motivation. Richard was. Travers is the Richard, uh, guy you're talking. Is the character the you're character, talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Rex Lynn, I believe, is his. Is the actor's the name? Actor who plays it? I am, I, am I making that up? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I'll check that for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, um, he did a lot of yelling, but I mean, he was. It was at least he had a thing that he was trying to do. It's Walker. The son of a bitch is still alive, Quaylen. No names. This is an open line. I don't give a shit, Eric Quaylen. Had to be insane to tied with a low-life piece of shit like you anyway the lithgow guy is just uh, the lithgow character quaylen is just a he's just a psychopath and nothing more than that yeah you, I, you know I, what i read today was that um it, that was supposed to be walken christopher walken was supposed to play that part and then dropped out at the last minute and john uh, lithgow was a very late 
in the game replacement. I would have liked Walken in that. I bet you he would have brought. He always brings something off the off the wall to everything. Clearly, but now here's and he wouldn't even have been attempted the accent. He's got he carries his own <laughs> accent with him yeah, for exactly. everything. So. Uh, uh, here's uh, something I thought of at the end. Now I don't know if I'm putting too much on this, but by the end, the dialogue just seemed it was so hokey and so corny and so over the top. And I thought, wait a minute. Now, maybe I'm giving them all too much credit, but it is called Cliffhanger. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. that's a play on their, their you know, mountain climbers. And what? Mountain I don't climbers. get it. But, th- but then I thought, <laughs> my God, what if, they're, what if they're sort of playing on like the old, you know, sort of what like Spielberg did with Raiders, you know, it was like the, the old early Cliffhanger movies. And there was that, you know, those uh, 1920s and 30s. And, and there was that feel of like the guy, the tortured guy coming back and oh, you know, yeah. meeting, the, meeting the dame and the evil you know every like all these stock characters and by the end i thought are they doing this on purpose is the dialogue written in that old you know early yeah, 1900 oh cliffhanger mm. film style i think i'm giving it way too much credit here yeah i think yeah. you are but that's but that is certainly that would be an interesting uh, conceit for a movie or if even within the movie there were like these moments where they would set something up and then leave it and go to another scene you know so that the the, ser- the movie was a series of Cliffhanger. Did you guys see free? I, did you see free solo? Amazing. It's terrifying. incredible. No. Your, your testicles recede into your chest watching that thing because it's so fucking scary <laughs> watching these insane. guys. I don't, I don't understand how they do I what they get do up on a ladder to clean out the gutters in my house. And that guy is, oh my God, it's fucking nuts. But I, these I, don't, guys, I don't understand it. They're free climbing. There's no way that this is what these park rangers do. Can it? Is it? There's no way. I don't know. I, I doubt they do I, I, any I, I, of this. I can't imagine. <laughs> that's why. I'm, that's why I couldn't even know how to describe him at the beginning. I'm like, he's got. He's a mountain climber. He's also a park ranger, but he's right. a rescue work. Like, I, I. It's kind of ill-defined what this uh, this amazing <laughs> unit of heroes is called who live in the mountains. Something I I reminded myself of today from '93, and I don't remember. I, I did see that. I was wrong last week that I hadn't seen any of these movies. I did see it when it came out, mm-hmm. and I, I had this. I had this. Saw it in the theater. I had this same exact. I remember having the same reaction you had fred about that opening sequence oh, yeah. that it was really scary to me and but i looked at some 1993 just like what happened in that year um there was a huge huge superstorm blizzard that blanketed the entire northeast in march of 93 hmm. i don't remember it <laughs> at all but we would have absolutely been in the middle of that being at Hofstra. And yeah. I wonder if that, you know, because this whole movie takes place in the snow and the winter. I do you know remember what I mean? that. I, d- I definitely remember that. Yeah. But did that affect how people, you know, viewed this Perceived movie? Like, it? oh, great. We got it. We got a summer movie and it's all, we just lived through this. You know what I mean? Now, did, I don't know. Did it do well? It did. It did. It did very well. It did. Um, like I said, it had a, a strong opening weekend and it did, it did like, what did I say? 85 million, which was not bad for, uh, you know, a run of the mill kind of action movie. I mean, it's not as big as some Stallone movies, but then again, early nineties and then worldwide, 250 million at that time. That was good. It was considered a big, again, it was considered like a kind of a, a renaissance, um, uh, or a revitalization of his, career at that time and then he had demolition man later that year and that was also a hit and so he was kind of like back on track it seemed but no it did very well and i think i I think the the key 
is that first scene because if there's o- if there's only one iconic thing about cliffhanger and i think it's that opening scene and him yeah. that girl and him trying to save her and her slipping it's incredible and it is and when your best scene is your first scene that's a problem because <laughs> just like the lady stallone is trying to save there's nowhere to go but down and it, <laughs> it really does i mean there are other moments there's a there's an that incredible scene where <laughs> Where he grabs the guy, but it's very Schwarzenegger. He grabs the guy by the crotch and impales him on a stalactite. That's, oh I mean, that is like you know that guy. I, that was a nut, that that Leon, that man Leon. was angry. Leon, yeah, he was angry. There was a lot of uh, he, a lot of bitches thrown around. Oh God, yeah. It amazes me in this day and age when a man takes money for personal safety, himself, and his bitch. At least you can go to your grave knowing that I'm gonna treat the bitch right. The other memorable thing from Cliffhanger was the theme song, as we mentioned last week. It's a cliff. I remember I remember it slightly differently. I remember it as <laughs> Cliffhanger. <laughs> He's the man, the man who hangs from cliffs. He's got the second verse takes a different direction. He's got some cliff anger. See what he did? <laughs> what did they, did they use? Were there any words that rhymed with Gabe? It's, in the lyrics there were too many that's why they had to cut it from the movie <laughs> <laughs> well uh yeah I, I you know uh cliffhanger is still considered you know and as i was doing research on it it's still considered uh, it's a well-liked movie it uh rennie harlan was a good die hard 2 is good that's a good die- movie let I, me ask you something was, was rennie harlan responsible for yeah. the uh mr falcon edit uh, a made-for-TV <laughs> version of Die Hard, Die Hard 2. 2. Yeah, if, if anyone listening doesn't know, uh, if you if you were, were sort of segueing here a little bit, but um, the best. if you uh, if you watch Die Hard 2 on the, the, the TV <laughs> version, you know they cut out the curses, and instead of the the you know the, the big John McClane mm-hmm. line, "Yippee ki yay, Mr. Fucker, uh, motherfucker, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Fucker," <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> no, leave it in. <laughs> no, that's well, yeah. the yippee guy, a motherfucker. They change it to um, and and we'll do it. How about, I'll be John McClane, Jason. You be the the voice that comes in. This is literally what it sounds like when you watch it. Okay. The plane goes off. He he lights the fuse. He's gonna blow up. And John McClane, Bruce Willis goes, yippee ki yay, Mister Falcon. <laughs> And it sounds just like that. It's literally another man's voice, and there's no character in the movie called Mr. Falcon. <laughs> that's the great, that's the great, incredibly perplexing thing. It's like, hmm, everybody's looking for Easter eggs to figure out who yeah. Mr. Falcon is. Uh, is that well, Rennie Harlan's idea? That's uh, you know, I, I hope I, so. Hey. <laughs> He, uh, he did Cutthroat Island with uh, Matthew Ooh. Modine and his wife Gina Davis, and he wife. Kind of, you know, that was a big bomb. Yeah, what are you talking about? Wife. 
He was yeah. married to Gina Davis. He did two movies back to back with her. I thought she was married to uh, the Fly. Didn't she marry the Fly? What's his name? <laughs> uh, Jeff Goldblum. I, yeah. I, I honestly don't know. I Maybe know. at some point. You know, a lot of these people they get divorced and remarry a whole bunch. They, you know, that's just happens a, in that Hollywood. Hollywood is just a den of sin. <laughs> it is, and I think that's the perfect segue <laughs> into our, yes. our next film, Made in America. So I'm the product of a one night stand. No, I was artificially inseminated. Well, it was a sperm bank. That is undignified. Yes, yes, I bought the sperm. I asked for the best they had. You know, black, smart, not too tall. Hello there, can I help you? Hi, I'm looking for uh, Hal Jackson. Well, look no further. Halbert Jackson. The one and only. You're white. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg plays Sarah Matthews, a Bay Area widow who owns and operates a bookstore called African Queen. Her daughter, Zora, played by Nia Long, is a brilliant high school senior deciding whether to attend Berkeley or MIT in the fall. During a school biology project, Zora notices something curious about her blood type, and when she confronts Sarah about it, Zora learns that she was the product of artificial insemination. Determined to have a father in her life, Zora, with the help of her best friend, Tea Cake, played by a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air era Will Smith, Yay. breaks into the sperm bank's records and learns that her father is Hal Jackson, a used car salesman who is loud, tacky, and, despite Sarah's specific request for a black donor, white. Even more alarming, he is Ted Danson. <laughs> <laughs> Questions uh. abound. Should Hal be a part of Zora's life? Should this really have been Ted Danson's first post-Cheers project? And most important, should Goldberg have started dating Danson during filming? Oh, my friends, not since Paula Abdul entered into a sexual relationship with an animated cat has there been a more potent and disturbing model of the axiom opposites attract. Clearly... Warner Brothers was hoping to cash in on Whoopi's successful late May track record, releasing the film on the one-year anniversary of 1992's Sister Act. But in the end, Made in America took in $11.8 million over its opening weekend, on its way to $45 million domestically, and nearly $105 million worldwide. Dan and Fred, what did you think of Made in America? Well, first of all... You know, just following up on our on last week's podcast, did you guys have the figures? Because I had I had uh, I had the Paul Rodriguez figure. Oh wait, that was Snaggletooth. I'm sorry. I have the Jennifer Tilly, but it's a blow up. Oh, um, Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly, the great she Jennifer was, Tilly. My God, her her first shot in that movie is naked doing <laughs> well somersaults. Her, right, her her uh, cartwheel stand-ins. Cartwheel, uh, that's first right. Scene. My God, that that was uh, wow. Yeah, I man. doubt that's her, but you're right, Jason. It's probably not her. <laughs> I'm sure it's not Oscar her. nominee Jennifer Tilly. Good trivia. What was she nominated for? Bullets oh Over Broadway? You are correct. Nice. Very good. Very Every good. now and then I get it right. I can't remember Yippee-Ki-Yay, motherfucker. How long after Ghost is this? Is this fair, very, a lot three of years after? Three years. That was a couple of years. Three years. years. 1990 uh, was Ghost, boy. and this is 93. Yeah. What, what was amazing to me upon uh, uh, watching this recently is I was watching it, and, and I thought, my God, like, you know, wh- 
was this shortly after, was this Will Smith's first movie? And I looked it up and it, I believe it was. I think it was. And you, you watch it. Was it, it was the second it was the one? Second he was in thing? a movie called Where the Day Takes You. Where but he had a small part in that. About the, about the Runaways. Yes, yeah. I remember that. Um, you watch this movie and you're like, you know, it, it, looking back at it now, you go, oh yeah, he's, he's a star. Like that, he, he steals the movie. I thought that too. Um, he's, he's fantastic. That that whole scene, I could have the whole scene with him in, in the sperm bank. Um, you can I, see the star power there. Yeah, and that was to me that was the funniest part. Of he the movie, kind of too. runs away with it, and and it's almost like Warner Brothers knew they had like a young a, a star, a TV star, because this was halfway through the run of Fresh Prince on uh, uh, wow on TV. So it was like oh. midway through that show was on for like six years. This was right in the middle of that. So it, people knew what he had that he had star yeah. power and this and that but okay. it had to translate so this was almost like they do this a lot right with like tv stars sometimes you'll see there'll be a movie where it's like there's a supporting role where it's kind of like it's like a playground for sure, for yeah. this this actor to see like what they can do and how they can connect on mm. the big screen i'm trying to think of other examples he but had some very eddie murphy-esque moments in it he really did he where he reminded me of eddie murphy yeah. you know what i mean just as far yeah. as like I couldn't tell if he was on script, off script. He was ad libbing. Mm-hmm. He was just having. He was just having fun. He was. Uh, he and, and, and uh, he and Jennifer Tilly were my two favorites uh, in the movie. They were. They were fantastic. They have kind of the most fun, interesting, you know, uh, yeah. roles. The, the, the acting is good. I, I think the acting mm. is good. I think. I think Ted Danson. I think it's very. I think there are moments that are m- moving and real. And you. I mean, it's it's not a great concept and it's not a great script i think it's a movie that lacks it, it kind of lacks the strength of its convictions because i uh, what yeah. i've heard after the fact makes it makes sense to me which is that when the script was written Whoopi goldberg wasn't the person they had attached they were not thinking it would be a kind of a biracial comedy it was just more about the idea of uh you know almost as if it was ripped from a maury povich or a, a, a jerry springer episode that it's about like if you had you know if you were the product of artificial insemination and you met your you know the donor parent what would happen could there be a you know like a, a love story between this woman who never knew who she got the sperm from and you know that it could have been any two leads but once they chose to cast Whoopi Goldberg and then Ted Danson, you know, it, you know, they you can feel them tiptoeing around race as a thing. You know, they're trying to set it up like, well, she's so, you know, she runs this uh, African bookstore and and yeah. he's wears the bolo ties and the cowboy hats and you know, it's almost like they're trying to kind of deal with iconography of them being at extreme, you know, polar extremes because of race, but they don't explore that at all. I mean, it would be a more interesting movie if they, you know, if they were both more bigoted characters and that they then find out about each other and that they grapple with that for ill or for good and maybe come, you know, and overcome that. Like, you know, you, I mean, that's not the movie they wanted to make. Clearly that might be a little too serious. Sure. And then you, and then it gives the daughter character something to really wrestle with, right? The Neil Long character, because that's where the missed opportunity is here. She's got a, it's an, it's a, you know, on the, (laughs) it seems to be building towards a movie about her, seeking her identity yeah. Her, yeah. her racial identity all of that that gets <laughs> abandoned you know uh in favor of basically um satire uh, stabs at stat- satire on an elephant yeah stabs at broad satire that whole scene in the in the uh uh sperm donor clinic is highly satirical it's a it's mm-hmm. a spoof of what mm-hmm. that 
situation might be like. Uh, you know? Not really. I've, I've, I've been to those places. It's, it's, that, that was, no, that was pretty on the money. Were you I mean, a donor or a recipient? That's all, that's all no. documentary footage. When, when, you know, we were, we were getting ready to start having the babies, you know, I, I had to go get checked and um, it wasn't too far off from that. It, <laughs> it is one of the most uncomfortable experiences a uh, man goes through. I mean, you basically have, they give you the magazine. Stuff they give you. Mm-hmm. They ask, do you want magazines or do you want videos? And you, it's it's. I know, but the attendant, ridiculous. the fact that she opens the door and someone's in there, like, oh no, baby, that you know, that was. <laughs> well, then let's stick with the elephant scene then, <laughs> as far as this movie being stylistically imbalanced, because <laughs> yeah. it's. That, it, it my, was a, but you, but you're right, Dan. Because I thought, to me, the most moving part of the movie was at the end when the daughter was like, "This is about me." You know, when she gets into the fight with with her mom, when they're about when they're sort of falling in love or having this romance, and she's like, "No, no, no, no! If you mess this up, I lose my dad. This isn't about you. This is this is me. I I, I need this for me." Um, but I I just never felt that it was earned. It was nice when it happened. I thought, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, How? But I wanted to, I I wanted to to feel more. I wanted to know more about yeah. this daughter. Um, and, and, and also Jason, you're right too. I feel like they were, it, it was interesting too, because this was a couple of years after do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and they, they definitely weren't, they were skirting a bit around the race issue or, or were they? I don't know that that's the thing. Like, I don't know if they were, maybe they were just having a little more fun with it. Like, I, I guess so, but they make so much, you know, when you watch the trailer or, or the, the clips that they released at the time, it's all about he's white. Yeah. He's white, white. He's really white. You know, like right, that, right. that is such a sticking <laughs> Yo, there's point. There's a white guy at the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a sticking point. It is a broader comedy than it, it could have been. It could have been more of a social satire. It could have been more of a Spike Lee or Jordan Peele kind of examination of like the tension between, but that wasn't what they were after. That wasn't white at the time. Let me yeah. ask you this. Um, the the really like torrid scene between the two of them where they like have their almost mm-hmm. moment but before that it's passionate and they're knocking over lamps and they're knocking over pictures off the wall had there been an interracial scene like that prior to that that you guys can remember because I, I can't re- I can't recall one that was you know that passionate and yeah, even though it was done, even though this was done in a mainstream kind of in a mainstream, that's a good one. And it did spark like this, this big, uh, this affair between uh, this relationship, not an affair, and that's a relationship right. between Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg. They dated for about a year and a half after that movie, and yeah, he broke up. That was he. It was the most expensive divorce. You know, in, in Hollywood at the time. Wait, they got like, married? Were they married? No, I didn't no, know they were married. No, no, no. Oh, he was he married. married. That's <gasps> and they it had an affair and they got divorced. Wife. And it was it was a second wife. And mm-hmm. it was this. I just remember that at the time that it was, you know, Ted Danson's paying more money than anyone ever has in a divorce. It was, yeah, it was, it was huge. It was also just weird because I, I first, like most people, I, I first was introduced to Whoopi Goldberg from her, um, the HBO stand-up special that she did, her mm-hmm. one-woman show. I uh, wasn't really stand up. Yeah. Um, and it was it, like, I, I'd always loved her, but I, I guess I'd never seen her before in a romantic comedy like that, that yeah. situation. And then with someone like Ted Danson too, it was just, it was such an odd pairing. They, I mean, it, it worked great, but then that was such a, 
they were it, such a huge thing when they became a couple. It's so, it so strange. It's was so Ted Danson's wife Shelley Long? Because I always wanted them to get together. Mm, I, I always thought they were gonna <laughs> make it happen. Oh, so close. Only in but your fan fiction, Dan. Only in your right. fan fiction. Um, yeah, no, you know, you think of like when you do like kind of your your hot takes on these movies, and you think, all right, cliffhanger. The first thing I think of is that scene at the beginning. That's the icon, uh, the iconic thing to me, right? Made in America. <laughs> The the only iconic thing about it is the fact that it was the the beginning of that relationship, and yeah. that that relationship took such a hit. You know, we talk about how the movie skirts race so much, and then that that big scandal when she was when Whoopi was roasted by the Friars Club and right. Ted Danson, to, yeah. yeah, and that was and and it was apparently something that she not only advocated for, but she so wrote some of the it. jokes for and like was a big supporter of it, you know, but he did, he did this whole act in, in, in blackface. And it was, you know, uh, uh, understandably and appropriately horribly received, <laughs> but I think the fallout from that. Oh yeah. I remember that to their breakup apparently, but oh, I, that it, I didn't know. That's what I've read that it was just, it was mm. just became, it just became kind of a, an albatross of, of sorts, you know, for them. But not that she was like, oh, my God, that she, you know, it would have been really horrible if she didn't know. And he's like, I bet you're going to think this is funny, honey. And then, you know, it right. wasn't that. She was totally you know in what, on it, what, but it was uh, uh, a lot of uh, damage uh, control. Can we talk about the real steamy relationship of 1993 between I, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo? I think... That is as perfect a segue <laughs> as I've ever heard. Yes, it's time. We're going to cap things off with the release you're most excited about. Uh, ever, uh, uh, da certainly Dan, uh, but, uh, but you, the audience. Super Mario Brothers. They're brothers. They're plumbers. Hold ah! on. Mario! Luigi! They're on the trail Luigi! of a kidnapped princess. Ah! And a mystical meteorite. It's incredible! That gives anyone who possesses it ah! the power to rule the universe. Get me the rock! Come and get it, lizard breath! Super Mario Brothers. This ain't no game. Yes, well, here we go. I, I'll try to give it a synopsis, but Jesus. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Features Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo as Brooklyn plumbers Mario and Luigi, who discover a parallel world populated by the intelligent descendants of dinosaurs. You know, like you do. It seems the dinosaurs weren't destroyed by a meteor millions of years ago, but hurled into another dimension, and now they have plans to rule our world. So it's up to our unlikely heroes to battle the evil King Koopa, played by Dennis Hopper, free the beautiful Princess Daisy, Samantha Mathis, and save mankind in this gigantic clusterfuck that may or may not resemble the video game it's based on. I really do not know. Uh, even though it was the only family film of the weekend and the only new release to be based on an existing property, Super Mario took in only $8.5 in its opening weekend on the way to a total take of $20 million in North America, and I don't believe, I can't find any record of an international release, so I think it just made $20 million on a budget of $50 million. It was considered a colossal failure. Um, the more recent success of Sonic the Hedgehog with Jim Carrey has people talking about a new live-action Mario movie on the other side of the coronavirus, but for right now, Fred and Dan, oh good God, what did you think? 
of the Super Mario Brothers. Wow. It it was... It's the worst movie I've ever seen. I'm just going to throw that out there. And I've seen Freddy Got Fingered with Dan. You know what? When it first started, there was a sense I I, I felt a little dirty when I was rewatching it. Um, it You've rewatched? Have you seen Super Mario Brothers before? I'd seen bits and pieces. (gasps) I never saw the whole thing. I I remembered I snuck into a a movie theater. Um, cause I was watching it and I'm like, wait, why does this sound familiar? And I remembered, I don't remember what movie I saw, but I, I snuck into it with a friend. Um, we didn't stay for much. Yeah. Snuck and, right and out again. Yeah. It was, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's just batshit crazy. It's, it's, it's not, I'm like, wait, is that Mojo Nixon? What's, what's happening with, with these, these small headed dinosaurs and Dennis Hopper, it's crazy. Dennis Hopper, so obviously playing Trump. I mean, that's that's nuts. Down to the you know the the germaphobe thing and the spraying yeah. the hands with sanitizer and everything. Yeah, we were like, Jesus Christ! Even in '93, we knew what a disaster yeah. this man was going to be. But uh, um, and yeah, and, and Fiona Shaw. You're like, wait, what? Who I love. I, I mean, Any I opportunity to see her in a movie. A I'll couple months that. after this movie came out, I saw her play Richard II in England. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And then she's yeah. doing this. Bob like, Hoskins it's, it's, had played Iago shortly I before. That. I mean, you know. I'd agree on this movie. Like, I was looking at it. I mean, the, the, the directors, I think, had just done commercials. And and um, Max Headroom. Remember the TV show, oh, Max Headroom? Right. That yes. was why. That was why they, they were... Um, they were kind of targeted to to film this because that's what the kind of quality that uh, I guess Nintendo, the people at Nintendo and uh, the producer Roland Joffe was looking for something. They were really looking for something that was kind of Blade Runner-ish in terms of the 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 art direction and scenic design. That's I, that's what I've read, and that's and they got that to a degree because I think actually one of the designers on Blade Runner is. Uh, credited with this film's uh, art, art direction or production design. I've got to check that out. Really? But yeah, so there's something, they wanted a dark atmosphere for this, but I'm not sure why. I, I don't, I, I'm going to freely admit, I do not know the video game. So when I watched this, I was like, none of this makes sense. This can't possibly have any <laughs> roots in the game. Uh, to no, the fact that I saw the, the beginning when all this dinosaur stuff, I was like, oh, they're clearly... It's kind of like one of those things where they know, like everybody's anticipating Jurassic Park and they're trying to kind of, you know, uh, ride the coattails a little bit, but uh, ahead of the curve somehow, like yeah. going to be like, dinosaurs are going to be a big thing this summer. So let's make it about dinosaurs. But I have no idea because maybe the game uh, features some of these things prominently. I, I don't know. I don't remember them. I mean, the only thing that I, you know, there's there's Mario and Luigi. And then at some point... Uh, you know, that princess. big birth of woman introduces the, uh, the the things that so they can jump, which they do in the game. There's a lot of hopping and jumping in the game, but I, I don't I don't remember any of the, the dinosaur things. And there's the mushrooms, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was weird because then they had, you know, I mean, I don't know. Was I was going to say the special effects were OK with the dinosaur heads, but I don't think they were. But then like the, the, the fungus what, what what was it uh, that like takes over everything? That uh, yeah, it's like a fun. It, it, it just kind of looks like fabric, right? It was That's, awful. Um, it looked like something out of like a community theater. <laughs> yeah. It was hard to watch, but yet they were. I mean, like Uzama and Hoskins, like they all, all the performances were 
fairly lovable. You sort oh, of. Oh God. I, I don't know. Maybe I, I gave them a wide berth, but it, it was. Uh, it, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I think that was my feeling the whole time. Like, what is this? They signed up for this. They obviously, and you know, now we know we can read stuff about it that that you know, no one was happy on that set. No. Most of them were high at the time because um, <laughs> they just realized it was a shit show. But it, 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 it's crazy. It sort of needs to be seen to be believed. It, it, oh, go ahead, Dan. Please weigh in here because I could I could just dance on this thing's grave all day. <laughs> I liked it. Oh no! Please. I liked it a lot. <laughs> oh no! You need to lay down. Oh, this is why. Go back to your prone position that you normally record from, and then close your eyes forever. You have to be kidding me! Uh, I had fun. I had oh, fun no. watching it. I had oh, fun. No. Here's what I liked. First of all, you get the anything where the proletariat is doing something. Anything where it's that setup of like you know the the autocracy and the proletariat. You've got my money. I like that. Oh, Parasite is basically a ripoff of this movie. <laughs> because you have the upstairs and then you have the underground people. It's Downton Abbey meets uh, Parasite. It's, it's the, inscrutable. There's the, no, you can't tell what's going on at any it's given in, moment. It's inscrutable because the fungus looks like a giant scrotum <laughs> hanging down. And it that turns out to true. be Lance Hen- Henriksen. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, the, wait, the, where was I saw that in the credits? He shows up. Where at the he's, he's, at the, he's the father. He's the princess's father. He's in the. He's he, the king. He, he drops. shows up. At the, did I miss that? You missed yeah, it. You might. You might have fallen asleep. There's like also a post credit sequence with Fisher Stevens and uh, and Eddie uh, Eddie. Uh, there is. Yes. Oh, those guys are ridiculous. Edson, Richard Edson. Yeah, they were ridiculous. Wow. Um, here's here's what I like. <laughs> you here's, watched until the end of the credits. Of course, of course, they did. Put they were doing post credit before, uh, before Marvel, Marvel, my friend. Oh, first of all, oh, I can't believe you got a you get a, you get a soundtrack from Alan Silvestri. Speaking of Marvel. Believe. And speaking yeah. of Back to the Future, you get Alan Silvestri. Boom, right there. The, the pedigree on the movie was was pretty incredible, other than the directors. Um, the uh, Bob Hoskins is full freight on this thing. He is full freight. He is not holding back at all, as opposed to Hopper, who is phoning it in from wherever his private island is. In you his can mind. tell Hopper is very miserable, and Bob Hoskins yeah. is very professional because he, yeah, yeah, he and Leguizamo are are charming. Yeah. That the five seconds that they get to speak to each other and establish <laughs> themselves as characters <laughs> who are plumbers, it's like five seconds, and then it's like, holy shit, we're in another dimension. Oh, <laughs> get the shard of something from the dinosaur's mouth. I didn't have a Nintendo, okay? But I played Nintendo at friends' houses, the NES, the Super NES. I had a little um, fold-out, uh, um, I don't know how to describe this, but it looked like a book, and you played it. It was a Mario Brothers game that you played. You just It was black and white. It was like the that old... Te- it was a <laughs> It was a book. It had, it had pages words, and, and words. I turned them. And phonetics. Yeah. No, it was a, it was like a thing that you opened up and you took to school, and it was a Mario Brothers thing, and we would play it in school. Um, and uh, so I knew the a little bit of the story, but if you remember in the game, they go down, they're plumbers, and they go down a pipe down into the game, and once they're under there, you're in a different place, and there's 
slime and there's there are dinosaurs down there oh you're right you know and and they come out of eggs and there's a little dinosaur named yoshi who's friendly who shows up in the movie i felt like the way that they actually justified everything of course it's not it's no more it's no more preposterous than cliffhanger let's put it that way it's it's the way that they justified all of the video game things you see Mm -hmm. what i mean i thought was i thought was fun it's I, like the Christopher Nolanization of Super Mario Brothers, right? It's like trying to justify it and bring it into a it's not a real world, but a gritty, a grittier kind of uh, tab. You know, I thought it, it would was be a little. I w- it was a little grittier than I thought. Like when they first get to that, you know, the, the, the underground world. And I, you're right. There was like a, a sort of a Blade Runner aesthetic. It actually the aesthetic reminded me more of like Total Recall. That's a good template of for Mars. it. Um, but yeah, it, it was a little, some of that stuff was, it was a little grittier than I was expecting. I kept thinking, would my kids like this? That's like, what I thought. like this? I don't know. Fred, I thought it would be a, a cool movie for kids. I, I would be interested to see what your kids thought of it, especially if they have any familiarity with who, who Mario is. They don't trust me after Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Nor I only they. show them. I only show them Cassavetti's movies and, and Taxi Driver. <laughs> but do you think? It, do you think it's followable? Do you think it has a? It have a story you could follow that you? Yeah, were, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, I mean, kind of. We yeah. all come from the primordial slime. It's oozing everywhere. The guy, uh, they, they no- turned him into a fungus, and he's he's infiltrates his his fungus like uh, matter is going all through the town because he's still he's still there and he's still alive and he's helping the heroes, which is how they justify. Oh, why are these mushrooms around that are helping us? Like in the wow, like you, in the game, you, you got know? a lot out of it that I <laughs> that I could not. I'm I'm glad to hear it. I really was like. To me, you know, because I have no knowledge of the game and I'm not a video game guy to begin with, I want to go in and I want to be told very clearly, I want to know who who the Mario Brothers are and care about them. (laughs) If it's going to be called Super Mario Brothers, you barely meet them. The first 15 minutes are about dinosaurs and archaeologists and princesses and Koopa land and whatever. And then they, it's like John Leguizamo's watching something on the news and says, yeah, it'd be fun to go to another dimension. And then it's like, ah, come on, let's go. We got to go get some shit out of a pipe. And then they go and all of a sudden they're in another dimension. He meets a girl. He talks to the girl. Getting shit out of a pipe. They go to dinner and then they're in another world. And they don't use any of their plumbing skills. There's one time. No, they do. They do. There's they absolutely do their moment. There's no, one there's, moment where he no. says, I've been a plumber for 58 years or whatever. He's like, He's not so I know <laughs> Is he not, though? <laughs> they may not uh, use their plumbing skills. They certainly use their dancing skills. Okay. Well, I cannot believe. Right. I Was can't believe that, I, that I'm the only one who, who uh, felt this strongly in the negative column. For <laughs> you know what? Dan is Dan's turning me. Because it was awful, and especially by the end, it's just ridiculous. But I don't know. Because it was awful. No, it was, but there was there was something. I there liked was something it. slightly lovable about it. I, you know, this wow. might be my. I think it might be. You know what? I might like it better than Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> if, if anything, I mean, maybe you know, you talk about uh, traumatic uh, I- images in in movies, like cl- the beginning of Cliffhanger or something. We have to talk about this moment. So at the end of the movie, I literally, admittedly, I watched this late at night and I actually thought, oh my God, I must have dozed off because I can't believe what I just saw. I must have fallen asleep and thought that this happened. There's a moment where (laughs) towards the end of the film, 
that when, yes, when, when, when yeah. you're seeing, yeah. they're moving from one dimension to the other towards the end of the movie. The Mario brothers are moving from the, the, the dinosaur dimension back to regular, quote unquote, regular earth, regular New York City. And they're becoming pixelated and they're kind of evaporating from one world and then reconfiguring in our world. But things are, it's like there's a breach in the matrix or something, right? And, but the only example of anything other than characters in the movie, pixelating and kind of uh, dissipating yeah. is, a, is one single shot, a woman screaming next to a cop and pointing to the World Trade Center. And there's a shot of the World Trade Center evaporating and it looks ex- in still images. It yeah. looks exactly like a shot from September 11th. And it is no, I thought, freaky. I thought about it. It, it was very freaky. Out. Now I wondered after the fact because 93 was when there was the bombing the tra- the first bombing in the yeah bombing. that's I wonder right if there was if they did that for a reason i don't know but it mm. was i mean I, I, i'm not making light of this but you you watch the movie there's that and hopper's basically the is Trump- Trump- yeah the trumpian thing is i mean again a little I'm, I'm unsettling to really to, to I'm, I'm really starting to move more towards dan's corner thank here thank you this movie might be one of the most brilliant Christian oh, films for god's sake of well then, I you think know, it's well, I think it's the perfect time to go to the mailbag. Sheila from uh, from Sacramento from, from Sacramento. She, no, from writing in. No, from Salt Lake. <laughs> Sheila from Salt Lake. She moved. Do you? Oh, so you, it's it's the same Sheila. Yes, she's writing in from Salt Lake okay. now. <laughs> Great. As long as we just get one letter a week from the same woman as she traverses the country. She What's said. Let's go to the mailbag. She said. Uh, she says. Uh, Great podcast first week, you guys. Loved it. Telling all my friends and family about it. Um, clearly, there's a weak link here, but it's not you, Dan. You are fantastic. And I'm a, count me as one of your fans. That's great. Is she Sincerely, keep- Sheila. A.K.A. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's sad that Hopper was such a, you know, reportedly pain in the ass on that movie you know because he could have made that he could have dug in and done what bob hoskins was doing and really made it fun and special and had fun with lines like and and find him and kill him and blah blah blah, and get me a pizza you know what i mean like fun little bits like that he could have dug in there but he just is so clearly phoning it in and there's all these reports about him you know getting into all these horrible uh uh uh, situations with the directors and and things and it's like oh man you you had a you had a pretty cool you know thing here man and and you know not i mean dennis opera is fantastic and other things but well well, uh, and then a year later he does speed where he like gleefully chews the scenery and so i actually thought i thought oh i bet he's going to be a lot like that kind of uh you know, he, he does have yeah. <laughs> he does yeah. have a lot of creepy blue velvet moments in this, but he's not committed to anything. You're right. No. You can tell he that he's not be into there. it because he's not committed in the way that he usually is in in other uh, his his other batshit crazy performances. <laughs> Koopa here. Oh yes, sir. I'd like the Koopa special. Pterodactyl tail on that. Yes. Dino, lizard, hold the mammal, no worms, and uh, spicy. Here's what I was another. Maybe maybe I missed it. Apparently, I missed a lot in this movie. Um, when they're in the elevator and John Leguizamo decides that the only way to escape is to teach the dinosaur thugs to dance by moving them back and forth to the sweet sounds of was not was as everybody walked the dinosaur. Was that set up somewhere that John Leguizamo just wanted to dance? That he just wanted to, he believed that if everyone just danced, 
we could uh, it was set up because they had it they said we have this thing called a soundtrack and we need to put a song on it here's a song can you please make the monsters dance to it and John Leg was almost like, I got this, I got this, I do one man show, I know, I know what I, I know what to do. I can get the audience going. I can get these monsters to dance. And it's like, okay, well, you're gonna have 15 minutes in a movie in an elevator <laughs> to do that. And then we're gonna sell this soundtrack. And he's like, Absolutely, absolutely, I got it. Perfect. It's gonna be great. I'm like, thank you very much, John. Here's your check. Thank you very much. Dancing monsters, here's yours. And then was not was, woke up to a phone call at about three, four in the morning, was like, hello. <laughs> And they're like, was? I said, mm, no, not was. <laughs> he reached over, handed the phone to was. <laughs> and he says, was speaking. And they're like, I, I know you're not in the music business anymore, was, but is it possible you might grant us the rights to your mega hit, your 1989 mega hit? Everybody walked it. He's like, yes. Would you like to know who I am? No. No need. Would you, you like to know it. who I was? <laughs> Not was, I said. <laughs> well, that does it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the second episode of Opening Weekend. Uh, we will be back next week with a brand new set of movies. We're going to jump back in time next weekend to the mid-80s, specifically June 8th, 1984. A uh, very auspicious date that saw the release of two of the biggest movies of the 80s and, and still two of uh, the most uh, influential kind of sci-fi horror comedies that I can think of. Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters with Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, and Gremlins, Joe Dante's Gremlins, which is uh, uh, still on my list of all-time favorite movies. And just to be completists about it, we will also have to talk about the third major release of that week. I don't know if any of us will be as excited about it, although maybe Dan will, uh, based on today. I, I, I don't know what to expect. Uh, Beat Street, the breakdancing movie Beat Street from 1984. Uh, we'll talk about all three of those next week. And now it's time to let Dan, uh, what, I guess we're, gonna, we're starting a tradition here. We started it last week with the Star Wars theme. And now Dan needs to take us out with something from one of the three movies we discussed this week. I think it'll be... If I had to guess, Super Mario Brothers. I was just going to do cliffhanger again. I want to hear cliffhanger. Cliff oh. No, I'll do. I'll do a little. This only appeared at the very beginning of the Mario Brothers movie, right? So, but this That's is not yeah. cheating. Sometimes they're going to get weeks with without themes that are really uh, That's easily right. easily uh, <clears throat> replicated. So, but we'll do the. We'll do that. Everybody will know this from Super Mario Brothers. All right, here we go. Let me warm up first. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Ah, is it coming through good? An actor prepares. An actor, actor prepares. A to podcaster far. prepares. All right, here we go. And sometimes in the video game, if you die, it would go. <laughs> this sounds more like a uh, 
a recording of the last time we all went to Taco Bell together. <laughs> Thank you so much. See you next week, everybody. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa with help from Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. What's the sperm line? Oh yeah, what's said? the line that you love? Yeah, Dan? he's upstairs in he's upstairs in her uh, bookstore, and he's looking at pictures of her dead husband, and he says something like, "Sperm, sperm, hell of a thing." Yeah, sperm. It'll it'll get you. Sperm. That, he that says was the original like that. line for "Got Milk." <laughs> came up with that. <laughs> sperm. It'll get you. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's not working, but it looks like sperm, guys. I know. But that's it's- why I say it's. There's wonderful act. As Kate and I were watching, we were like, "Man, these are good actors." Not because they were going to win any Oscars for this, but because they were getting through these takes with like a straight face and sincerity. It was, I think, fine acting there. Less so from Super Mario Brothers. That's just my opinion. It's just a guy with an opinion. Hey, fungus, it'll get you. <laughs> I think you can interpret both of those lines. The oh, sperm, it'll get you. Fungus, it'll get you. There are a lot of, on May 28th, 1993, there were a lot, let's just say, there were a lot of classic lines. Cliffs, they'll get you. <laughs> none, of these, none of these are in any of the movies. <laughs> but they should have been, damn it. Uh, uh.